0: Well, you can be seated this morning. Thankful that you're here. Can we also just put our hands quickly as you're being seated and welcome everyone tuning in online. We're excited you're here as well. We believe God's got a word for you. So we are in, as I said, week three of our series, Love Lies. And in the middle of this series, we had our marriage renewal night where many of you came and we were renewed by the Ministry of Fierce Marriage uh, as we looked at five healthy habits of marriage. So really this whole collection, this segment, these sermons, I pray are blessing you. I gotta share this with, we have our chapel services in here for Zion Christian Academy on Wednesdays. And a lot of the kids in their innocence looked up and said, love lies, what, how does love lie to me? What what have I been believing? Not really (laughs) catching the picture. And kind of the context to get some conversation, but several parents said, hey, it, it's created some great conversation to then go into what you've taught us to say, these are the lies that you can believe about love if you're not careful. So I pray that this series has blessed you, and I pray that you're getting some practical handlebars out of it that you can grab hold of, that you can begin to, to see your relationships flourish from your marriage, whether you're single. Uh, can we just thank God that if you are single, that God designed singleness as a season. It's not a destination. We're all single at one point in our lives or maybe through a death of, of a spouse or uh, a, a divorce where brought, singleness is brought back into um, our story. But God never really created singleness to be a destination. He created it to be a season. We also talked about last week that loneliness, uh, marriage doesn't really cure loneliness. It, it changes your status, but loneliness can walk with you into every season of your life if you're not allowing the Word of God to confront it, to, to measure yourself up, to refresh, to renew yourself. And so this morning, I want to really teach and, and really just give uh, a word on the lie of temptation. So this is our third lie that they're in our relationships from marriage to singleness, whatever status you find yourself, is that we're called as believers to be resisting, to fleeing from temptation in our life. This is a principle we're taught throughout the entire word of God is that we are going to face temptation in every season of our life. And if we don't know how to fight it, that we have a spiritual enemy that we're to come up against, that is this morning we declared we're gonna have victory. We're not gonna walk in defeat from temptation, but we're gonna have victory when temptation comes knocking on our door. Can you say amen to that this morning, that you wanna be a person of victory when temptation comes. So we're working on the right definition. Temptation is defined as this. It's to desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. So if you want to see if, if you're being tempted, is... Is a desire, is a motive, uh, some different syn- synonyms. Do you have an urge? Do you have an itch? Do you have an impulse, an inclination, an enticement, a seduction, attraction, a draw, a pull, an imitation, a bait, a decoy, an allure, an appeal, an, an attractiveness, a fascination? This is the avenue that temptation wants to begin to pull at you. You know, we talked about in the first week, and lust and temptation can really work together is a lot of the same attributes. I shared this. It says that when we believe the lie of lust, it promises, promises us something better. But when we give in to it, we actually end up worse than when we started. So if we're not discerning correctly, we can be so easily deceived by lust, by temptation. When I think about temptation, Jesus has a lot to say about it. And anytime Jesus, especially in his final hours, before he made his way to the cross... I always look at it in this light, is if someone on their, their last moments here on earth, whatever they're communicating to us is usually what is of utmost importance to them. Well, Jesus did this before he went into the garden, he, him and his disciples in Luke chapter 22, it says they went to pray and Jesus commanded them to pray and then he went off to pray and that's where we get the story of Jesus sweating blood because he's struggling with the will of God that he was going to have to go to the cross. And it says... And Luke twenty two forty, you don't have it back there, but it says this. It says, and when he came to the place, he said to them, this is what he commanded them to pray, that you may not enter into temptation. Yeah. And so Jesus is very clear in his word choice. He says, in this life, you've got to learn how to pray that you don't give in, that you don't enter into temptation. On the Sermon on the Mount or when Jesus teaches us to pray, what is uh, in the Lord's prayer? Lead me not into what? temptation so we see Jesus put a premium put a value on teaching his people teaching the church teaching his beloved sons and daughters his bride that I want to give you some tools I want to teach you in your prayer life I want to teach you in the spirit of how you are to fight temptation and if you've been a part of GPC throughout the years through the teaching of Pastor Joyce and Pastor Webb, what I grew up in, we learn how to fight against the things in the Spirit. We understand what Ephesians 6 says, that we don't fight against each other, but we fight against what's motivating it, the Spirit, the strategies of the enemies, that we know as a Spirit-filled people, there is something much bigger going on than the petty issue you have with your spouse or the petty issue at work, that there is something underneath the surface motivating you to give in to the bait of temptation. I think and, I, and I'm gonna hit on it briefly this morning, but I think when we talk of temptation, it really gets put in a box with sexual temptation. But we see that we're tempted each and every day to, to be tempted to give in to anger. Yes. How many of us deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Or we're tested to want to react. Yeah. We're tested to give in to our emotions. So there is a temptation revolving in what we what we talked about last week is our emotions, that if, if we see God gives us emotions and God has emotions, but unlike God, our emotions can lead us to impure thoughts, impure feelings, impure uh, actions. And so when we learn to bring our emotions through the power of the Holy Spirit in line, you can really begin to walk in an authority and a power because the enemy loves to trigger you, to gaslight you, to get your emotions working against you instead of working for you you know as we're in this engineering project and as we're moving forward the building is sitting on our property we're just past our plumbing inspection the green sticker is on the rough in plumbing and uh, we're going to be the concrete guys are coming in next week to prep the slab and then once that slab goes then they start anchoring in the building and within you'll see within about two to three weeks we will have a building up over our head it's pretty amazing the process, and. Really, when we started on this process of, the, of this building, uh, we began to reach out to the engineer, which was over a year and a month ago. And in that span, I've really been spearheading that and working with the engineer, and we've been putting the plans together of what we want it to look like. And what you'll begin to find is the whole process of dealing with the county, the municipality, who you get on the phone with that says they want it this way and then you call someone else and they want it this way and then you have to get a change order and everything changes. They have to rewrite the plans and just this long, drawn-out process of trying to get everyone on the same page, to get everything moving forward. I have learned that in my exhaustion of this process, you have to be patient. You have to just wait it out and trust that God is working and that he's moving. And I was thinking through this of waiting on the revisions of things going back and forth is that many times so much of this project moving forward is out of my control. It's out of my control. But what I have to do is I have to trust the experts. I have to trust the engineer. I have to trust the plan reviewer that they know what's best. That Pastor Garrett doesn't know what's best to build the building. But I'm going to trust the experts and what they know is best. And if I can communicate anything to you this morning, whatever your thoughts are on spiritual warfare, you have to go to the word of God because it is the blueprint of how we are to fight. And if we're not applying that, then we're going to miss out on the principles, on the truth, on the power we have available to us to truly fight against sin and temptation. So thank God you have a blueprint with you and available to teach you how to fight and how to pray. I find this as well in talking of relationship and and believing the different lies is so many times in our relationships we try to put it together how we think it would work best and what our feelings and what our ideas are. Culture might go a a step forward and think they know what's best for them in their relationships and then they get in a pickle and then they cry out to God and say, okay God, here it all is, now bless it. They put their way of thinking or their plans or their own blueprints. And don't, don't we see people that do that? They, they constantly reject God or do things in their own ambitions, and then when they get in a crunch, then they look to God and say, God, I need your blessing. Where are you? And what I want to get to you is that we address these lies beforehand, that we're proactive in addressing these things, so that we don't try to do things on our own and end up flat on our face and then asking God to bless it. But there is a better way and a better path, and it is being preventative in our spiritual warfare. I hit it on briefly last week as well in Genesis 25 where we see Jacob and Esau. And we see Esau that he uh, was a hunter and he got back from a hunting trip. And it says that he was so famished and exhausted. And how many of you know that when you find yourself famished and exhausted, you don't make the best of decisions in your life. When you're exhausted physically, When you're exhausted spiritually, Elijah last week we see was exhausted emotionally and spiritually, so he went and hid in a cave, and out of that was motivated by a spirit of Jezebel to get him suicidal, to get him depressed, and to get him wanting to quit and give up. That's how weak his emotions were. And so Jacob, or Esau, we see, and this is really a theme in the Bible, is the devil loves to attack you when you are at your weakest. He waits To get you in a place where you're emotionally depleted, where you're famished, where you're under a spiritual attack and you're not fighting, then he really comes in to want to really steal that portion of the stealing, the killing, and destroying of your life. So we see this. It says, Esau was famished. He saw Jacob, and Jacob, motivated by the enemy, said, I'll give you a bowl of lentils. I'll give you this bowl of lentils if you give me your birthright. So what does he do out of exhaustion? Out of being so depleted, he trades his blessing for a a moment of gratification. And see, this is the lie of temptation. It says, you can get what you want momentarily, but you trade blessing in place of that. And see, if we're not aware, and if we're not discerning, and if we just can take a step back and evaluate our lives, practically speaking, is it really worth, worth it to let that person really know how we feel in that moment but lose blessing on the other end. It'll feel good for a minute, but what are, what are you trading in the long run? I think we don't, aren't big picture in a lot of different times in these situations. Jesus, or we see this repeated in the New Testament. In Hebrews 12, 16, if you put it on the screen, talking of Esau, it says, see that no one is sexually immoral, or it says, or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, inheritance rights to the oldest son. I find this interesting. I want to read to you. In commentary, it says this. It says, An especially heavy weight is bitterness, and it's talking of a bitter spirit beforehand. See, I'm very used to crying. I got two babies myself. I put messages together with babies crying. I can preach with babies crying, that's no problem. I'm a skilled man. Look what this says. It says, an especially heavy heart, verse 1, talking of bitterness, because when Esau went to beg to get his inheritance back, uh, his father, Isaac, wouldn't give it back. It says, and he, so he began to get a bitter spirit. It says, In this bitter spirit of habitual complaining, bitterness refuses God's chastening and defiles us before God. Esau became bitter about Jacob, Jacob's favored life in contrast to his own life of difficulty. Hear this, bitter blinded him to what is truly valuable. If I can say anything, if you're not careful, bitterness has a way of blinding you to what is valuable in your life. Here was the result, bitterness cut off his endurance. Isn't that the truth? When you're bitter, you get exhausted quickly and you can no longer endure. It says he traded his family honor, his birthright for one small meal. For this, Esau is called a fornicator, being unfaithful to God and uniting his spirit to this temporary age. Later, when he changed his mind, his father Isaac would not change his. Esau missed his blessing. Thus, our two clear choices for life are bitterness or blessing. So, hands, who wants to choose to walk in blessing this morning, not in bitterness? Let that be your confession as you're fighting off temptation, because in the process, the enemy wants to get you better so that you don't see clearly. You become blinded to the, the wiles, the tactics, and the tricks of the enemy. I want to ri- remind you this morning that the enemy hates everything that matters to you and matters to God. Yes. You have a spiritual enemy that hates everything that matters to you and matters to God. I want to remind you, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, we've known it, we've heard it, but we've got to bring it into the conversation this morning. It says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand. Everyone say stand. Stand Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So if we don't put on our armor, if we're not actively engaging in the fight, you're not gonna be able to stand. And we're told here that It's against all of the devil's schemes. It's against all of his strategies. That he's working strategies as you're sitting here in church, waiting for you when you go to get your kids in the nursery, waiting for you when you walk out. He's putting together strategies to begin to start messing with your mind, to begin to start triggering your emotions, to begin to cause separation in your relationships. He is already working. So if he's working, we need to know how much more God is working and us partnering and engaging with him on what he's wanting to do to give us victory. We're reminded we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. Another way I like to say it in this passage of scripture is whatever God blesses, Satan wants to curse in your life. You you have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants to curse what God is looking to bless. And see, when we understand God's blueprints are perfect, that they don't need revisions, that they don't need to change, is that we already see a path laid out for us that is already best and that is already blessed. So why do we, in our life, why do we try to go and make revisions all the time to God's word? Why do we try to do our relationships the way we think is right? One, it's because we're being told a lie through the enemy of what he thinks is best as he's trying to deceive us. I laugh about this, but many times what Bree and I can run into in our marriage or in our relationship is it's the petty things that get us triggered on things. Being married almost six years now, we've learned, we've learned what each other's likes and dislikes, what can trigger through looks and non-looks, non-verbal communication. You can begin to really pick up on what is kind of going on in the room. No one's gotta say anything. Both ways, I'm throwing myself under the bus. But one thing we've come to find is, or that I've come to find, is, is Bree doesn't like when I clip my fingernails in the living room. I'm just telling on myself. <laughs> Ladies, you can say amen to that. We have a designated place over the kitchen sink. is She's let me go there, so I'm thankful, but that's where I clip my fingernails. Now, on the other side, what really can uh, trigger me, I don't know why, but she has a, a, a place where she loves to pick her split ends and just pick her hair while we're sitting there. And sometimes she, uh, when Daniel cries or Eleonora cries, she gets up and she leaves that little split end pile there on the couch. And there's nothing worse than when you go to sit down and you have your favorite snack and that your snack touches the split. And then before you know it, I'm kind of getting testy, a little triggered. Brie, how many times do we talk about this? She's doing it to me. Your fingernails are right there. And before you know it, we're talking and in an argument and talking about something that happened three weeks ago. And, <laughs> and then we go up to bed that night and we're like, how in the world did this happen? How was, how was our whole night thrown off by fingernails and split ends? But what I want you to hear out of this is that what can seem petty and, and maybe not catching it is a gateway then for the enemy to begin yeah. to... To breathe on it, to spill on it, to fill it with what his lies, to get you completely going against each other and not staying together. I always think of it this way, as we don't see the enemy in our first marriage, our first parents, Adam and Eve, we don't see the enemy come on the scene until Adam and Eve were together. And so we know, as those of us who are married, is that we have a target on our back when you decide to get married because marriage is an entity. Marriage is something so sacred, is something God created to be a blessing, to, to, to show a picture of Christ. I, I also like to say it this way, is, is God wants to gift you to someone when you get married, not inflict you on someone. God wants you to be a gift to the other person, not inflicting yourself on the other person. Proverbs 25:24. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's has some good stuff to say. <laughs> Proverbs 25:24 says this. It says it's better to live alone in a tumble down shack. This is the message version. Than it is to share a, man- a mansion with a nagging spouse. Other translations say this. It says it's better to live in the corner of an attic than a mansion with a quarrelsome wife or a a nagging spouse. Because really, you can't just throw, ladies, I can't throw you under the bus. We can be just as bag and nag and go with our mouth. So a nagging spouse, and what I want to say to you out of this, what I want to say to you out of this is, is simply this, is are you a person in your relationships that causes people around you to run to the corner of an attic, or are you a person that is encouraging, that is creating an atmosphere in your home and in your relationships to be of help to one another. And I always go back to the scripture because our flesh and the enemy will always get us to a place of wanting to run those that are true and good and healthy in our lives to the corner of an attic and be quarrelsome, cause wars, cause fights. Because if he can keep you caught up in that, in that world and in that sphere and in that realm, then you're never really going to accomplish what God wants to do because you're going to be so triggered and emotional and just ready to let them know how you feel. And so wisdom tells us don't be a quarrelsome person. Proverbs, the Proverbs 31 woman talks of, of the role of, of a wife or a woman is, is even to enrich their husband's life. And what I want to say this, if you're enriching and upgrading your husband's life, here's what happens with you, ladies. If you're upgrading his life, then what he does is upgrade your ring, okay? You've you heard that one before? You upgrade his life, you upgrade your ring. Okay. Pastor Joe, it's not in the Bible, it's this, this disclaimer. <laughs> I had to throw that one out there. Hear this again, if Satan curses what God blesses, then we can't give into the temptation of nitpicking, causing fights, of wanting to take control, We don't want to be a people that drives each other to the corner of the attic. 1 Peter 5.8, look what Scripture says. This is a good reminder as we're fighting in the Spirit. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. So right here, we see nothing passive about spiritual warfare. We see nothing passive about um, not being on guard. So it says, stay alert, watch out. And look what it says, for your great enemy. I think it's given given him a little too much credit. But if we're not alert, his powers have a way of diminishing, of trampling, killing, stealing, destroying. What does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Commentary will tell us that the enemy loves to study your patterns. He loves to study your habits. He wants to know what your weaknesses are. The enemy is very patient. Imagine a lion at the zoo going back and forth at the gate just watching. He's waiting and studying when the prime time is to pounce on your life. And so if we're not staying alert and we're not aware that we even have an enemy, then we're setting ourselves up to be bait for the enemy to devour. Commentary I want to read specifically says on this passage of Scripture, It says, the devil and his angels do explore us individually, so they get to know us, looking for our weakness. The enemy offers appealing visions to our eyes. He puts music to our ears, to each of our senses, setting forth whatever might tempt us to sin. He loves to arouse your senses. We see this is how he works. He arouses our tongue to speak evil about others, and he urges our hands to injure those around us. He sets forth profits to be earned by a shady and moral means and holds out earthly honors and false values to be preferred over heavenly ones. When he is unable to tempt us, he brings forth a threat of persecution so that fear may cause us to betray that faith. See, if he can't get your senses then he'll put a sense that, oh, if you don't follow this policy in your workplace that goes against the things of God, if you don't pray and seek God on how you're to react to this, then he'll put fear in front of you that you may lose your job, that there's persecution when you stand for him. So he, we see that he wants to use both, both ways here. Thus, we are always alert for his many faceted attacks, ready to resist him on every turn. I pray this morning that if you're hearing anything this, that I'm preaching is that you be alert, you be prepared, and you be ready to resist him at any time. I know with myself when I get exhausted or when I get mentally drained, then that's, I can begin to sense the enemy wanting to trigger me on things or get me to make a wrong decision or come in with an attitude toward different things. That is, you get to know yourself, you begin to know when you're most vulnerable. So when you feel vulnerable, you got to take a few minutes and get yourself together. you got to have, as, as Coach uh, Jamal talked to us, you got to have a good self-talk and begin using the Word of God to get up and out of your head and get out of the lies that you're believing or change the attitude. A great scripture on temptation is Song of Solomon 2. 15, and I've always lived by this, and this is a scripture I grew up always hearing in the home, because this is how it works. It says, catch the foxes, the end of 15 here. It says, catch the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Our vineyards our vineyards that are in bloom. And when you see that, it, the enemy wants to send the little foxes, again, the little things to trigger you, the little things to get you going, little things to get you moving in the wrong direction. When he begins to send these little foxes, look in the context, it's that the vineyard is in bloom, and if that bloom doesn't hit the ground, then there's not gonna be a harvest. So the enemy wants to come in and send the little foxes right before you're about to get the harvest you've been believing for. Because he does not wanna see you advance, he does not wanna see you grow, and he doesn't wanna see you reap that which you have been giving and believing and pouring into. So the way the enemy gets access into our lives isn't putting an affair right in front of you. It's just a little bit of lust. It's just a little bit of porn. It's just a little bit of temptation to get you to open the door. And then as he gets you to open the door, then he keeps feeding you a little bit more. He keeps drawing you in a little bit deeper. And before you turn around and you're like, how in the world did I get here? It's because you opened the door. That, that back when you were tempted by that little fox, he began to grab hold and he began to allure you into something you wish you never would have walked into. We see in the word of God that we see boundaries, that God uses boundaries to put protection and safety in our life. And when I think of boundaries, I see Daniel now who's walking and running. And, and now we love to get with him and say, all right, jump. So we start jumping, and then he starts jumping. And, and one thing now that he is so mobile and running and going is we have different rooms sectioned off with, with baby gates. And now that he can run and do, there is, he will throw a fit when we put a boundary around this child. <laughs> when we say, we're gonna stay in this room for 30 minutes and then we'll graduate to the other room. But he, he, there comes a point when he is exhausted of being in that room and wants to get out of that boundary. And as I was sawing him and seeing him react to boundaries, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what you and this is what we do as God's people. <laughs> is we get tired of these boundaries we feel that are around us and we forget that God puts boundaries in our life for protection. Two ways the enemy wants to come and attack us if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one is through distraction and number two is through seduction. This is how he works. Is, is it, and really it's the other way around. If he can't seduce you, if he can't lure you in then he'll put put a phone in front of you and distract you. He'll keep you distracted, he'll keep you out of church. He'll keep you distracted where you're not present in your relationships. He'll keep you away from truth. He'll keep you isolated. And then if he can't distract you, he'll try to seduce you, he'll prey on your weaknesses, he'll seduce you into that wrong relationship, that person at work or that person that you're connecting with, the bank tell, I don't know who it is, but they'll begin to fulfill an emotional gratification that you're not getting at home. All of these triggers, we see that if we're not careful, the enemy is great at always seducing. This is his, his prime, these two things are his prime way he gets access into our life, is through seduction and is through distraction. So we see that God works in boundaries. Look at when he created earth. He created uh, light and then he created darkness, two different, two opposites. What else did he create? He created water, and he put, uh, uh, as he created the earth, and he put boundaries where there would to be was to be land. We see when he created the garden, he said, you can eat of everything in this garden except this one tree. So we see God works in process, he works in order, he works in boundaries, and if we get to know the word of God, you'll begin to see This is a boundary, this is a line that God has set up that if I cross that, I'm his beloved, I'm his bride, I don't want to enter into seduction and and, and temptation and distraction, that this is a healthy boundary that God has put in my life to be a blessing for me. The devil knows how to trigger your anger, how to trigger your insecurities, and how to trigger your fears. Scripture says this, in um, Ephesians 5.3. And this is a, a, a verse I wrestle with because it really doesn't give a lot of gray. It says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And this was always a verse as we kind of talk about the, the temptation of sexual immorality. That word hint, if you highlight that and underline that, it says there, there can't even be a hint. So it's saying your standard against sexual immorality has to be high, that we don't want a hint to come into our lives. And as I've been trying to bring out, anytime you see scripture from Paul in the epistles, you see that he always prefaces it as, "We are his beloved." So he's saying this: "I love you." This is a boundary. Don't allow there to be even a hint. And what we have to do, and we kind of have to come back down to reality when we read and hear sexual immorality is, and just using, it's not some big adulterous affair that we have to keep away from. Yes, we do, but what is the content we're consuming on Netflix? What is the, the music, the content we're putting in through our ears? How are we allowing our senses, how is the enemy using our senses to pervert the word of God, to preserve the blessing of God in our life? And again, I, I'm, I'm right here with you. I am constantly saying, Holy Spirit, where is there a hint of this in my life because if where it is, raise the standard, Holy Spirit. Convict me because I want it out. I don't want even a hint. And so I think we wrestle with this as we go throughout life, as we evaluate our lives. So it says, or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper. These aren't God's best for God's people. Proverbs 4.14 says this and I want to invite the worship team up. It says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Look at verse 15. It says, avoid it, don't travel on it, turn away from it. I don't think Proverbs could be any more clear here. Can we just declare that together for a moment? Can we say, avoid it, don't travel on it, turn away from it, and go on your way. So it's saying, you see the path, avoid it, don't go on it, turn from it, get going the other way. So we see scripture gives us the power to fight these and to give us the right perspective. Sean, if you put this big thought and what I want you to run home with this morning. It says this, it says, why fight a temptation in the future if you have the power to eliminate it today? Why wait to fight the temptations we know are knocking on the door. When you have the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not in your might, it's not in your own power, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us this morning to eliminate these temptation. You might find yourself on two of these extremes. Is number one, when you hear a message on temptation or you hear a message on sexual immorality, you might think, I don't need this, this is stupid, I'm good, none of this is really going on in my life. You might be on that extreme or you might be on the other extreme where you feel so trapped, you don't see a way out. Your thoughts have got the best of you. You've allowed yourself to just be, feel so defeated and so you don't see a way out. This is what Bree and I were talking about this morning and I want you to see the context in the scripture of where we see our God tell us we have a way out. First Corinthians 10, 12 through 13 says this, and it, it hits both of these extremes. It says, so if you think you're standing firm, yeah. it says you better be careful that you don't fall. Yeah. Don't get so caught up and get prideful here. Yeah. So that handles that extreme. Yeah. Verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. Look what it says, and God is faithful. Anyone thankful we serve a faithful God? He, he doesn't leave us to hang or to dry. Look what he says. He says, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, not if, maybe, but when, when you are tempted, look what it says. He will, everyone say, He will, he will. provide a way out so that you can endure it. Plain and simple. If I can prophesy or declare anything to you this morning, there is a way out. There is freedom. There is liberation available to you. You are no longer a slave this morning. You're no longer a slave to those thoughts of depression. You're no longer a slave to being bullied by your disordered desires. You're no longer a slave to the vices that want to grip and choke you and kill the purpose and the blessings of God out of your life. And if we can be preventative, if we can look and say, if I can eliminate a temptation today, then I'm setting myself up for victory in the future. And if we live our lives like this as Christians, you'll begin to see victory as a part of your story. If I can be honest, one of the biggest motivators in my life is I began to visualize at times if I were to give in to a temptation, I begin to kind of go down the road and say, okay, if I, if I think this through and plan this out, is, it, is the payout really gonna be all that worth it? So I think if I give in to a temptation, say a sexual temptation, if I give in to that, here's what would happen, is I would lose one, the trust of my wife that I've worked so hard to gain. Number two, as a pastor, I would lose the trust of my congregation, of this church, of God's church, I would hurt a lot of people. And so when you begin to see on the other side of your choices, when you begin to see what would come on the other side of that, just like Esau, when he gave in in that moment of feeling exhausted and famished, feeling entitled, he gave up his blessing for a moment of gratification. And if I can say anything, this is how the enemy works and this is what he does. And if you can visualize the destruction before you give in to the temptation, you will run in the other direction because you know what will be on the other side of that. Seduction, distraction. This is how the enemy wants to enslave us this morning. If you stand at your feet, I want to pray for you. And I want to take a moment of worship. I want to invite the webs, Pastor Joyce and myself, we're going to be here available for prayer during this worship song. If you feel you're being bullied by depression, by anxiety, by fear of the future, by Anything, loneliness, any lies that want to attach itself to love, we are here as your pastors to pray and believe for you. Know this this morning no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Know that you're not battling your spouse, know that you're not battling your boss, but you are battling the strategies, the powers, the principalities, the world of darkness of this world. And it's time for you to take authority that you have, that you've been given to overcome these temptations. If you bow your head, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we are more than conquerors. We thank you that we have the power this morning to step out of slavery to these things and step into freedom, to step into liberation. God, we thank you that you are such a good God. You are a graceful God that says when we fall down, we don't stay down, but we can get back up and be restored. We can be renewed. That shame, guilt, condemnation is not a part of our story this morning. We rebuke shame in our lives. We rebuke guilt and we rebuke condemnation. We thank you that those things should push us to you to, to gain freedom and liberation. Holy Spirit, raise the standard within us. We say not even a hint of anxiety, not even a hint of greed, not even a hint of sexual immorality, that we want our standard to be Jesus. And God, we thank you. We serve a God who is a savior, whose name literally means to save, that you've come to rescue us from ourselves. You've come to rescue us from disordered desires and emotions, that there is power available to us this morning you lift your hands right where you're at, just whisper it to God in your own words, say, I receive the power of the Holy Spirit for this area of my life, for my marriage, for my relationships, and my money, and my finances, God, we receive the order, the process, the blessing, what God designed was to bless us and to be best for us, God, that right now with our hands lifted, we thank you that as we are surrendering, we are eliminating temptations in the present so that we can have victory in the future. God, we honor you and we thank you. Your anointing is here. We thank you. Your power is here. And as we worship, we believe the mind is going to change. We believe the heart is going to change. And that renewal is going to touch us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said.